Propaniacs. Welcome to the second season of Propaniacs, a King of the Hill podcast. We kick this season off with guns blazing, as Hank and Bobby shoot for the stars and walk off into the biggest sunset you'll ever see in the episode, How to Fire a Rifle Without Really Trying. I'm Milton McManerberry. And I'm Daisy Durndall. And Propane Maniacs, we are in the same room recording for the first time ever. We Mm -hmm. are fully vaccinated and ready to roll. Yeah. Well, let's get to the episode. It starts off at this fair. Okay, so Daisy, our resident Texan, how real is this fair? I think it's like a state fair. How real is it? The big text thing. How legit is all that? It's accurate. It's real. Yep. Have you ever been to a fair like that? Not in a long, long time. What else did you see in this fair scene? They were playing like carnival games and Hank was kind of overcoaching Bobby, kind of overdoing it, I think, with the coaching. And and then Bobby just wasn't that into it, all the games. He was goofing around. He put some ping pong balls in his mouth and he said, look, Dad, I'm a commish. Yeah, Bobby was doing with games what one really should do with games, and that's just have fun with them. But Hank takes everything seriously, so he was just not having it, I guess. Right. Shades of him at the Little League game in the pilot. Mm-hmm. This scene shows a lot. It introduces what I think is kind of a theme of the episode, which is Bobby and Hank's relationship to each other. That's really a theme of the whole show, but it's especially in this episode. But you see right away that Bobby continues to be a failure to Hank, at least as far as Hank thinks of success and failure versus how Bobby thinks of success and failure. Especially at things that are physical, like, mm-hmm. you know, throwing something, trying to hit a target, trying to hit a pinata and break it apart, trying to hit a baseball that's pitched to him, etc. And that's just not Bobby's bag. Hank, not necessarily the kind of guy who appreciates different bags. No. Hank's... There's only one way to be in Hank's eyes. They finally got to, what, shooting ducks? Yeah, something like that. And Bobby was actually really good at it. Out of nowhere. Just like, wow. Throwing isn't his thing, but I guess shooting is. Yep. Who knows? And so Hank immediately appreciates that, and so does Peggy, right? You could both of them have an appreciation for a man who could handle a gun. Right. So on the ride home, Bobby's talking about all the things he shot and all of this. And Peggy asks him if he killed any bunnies. I don't know what that means or is about, but... right. With a big smile on her face about killing. Definitely another big theme in this episode. And this one isn't really subtle, Daisy. Guns play a big part in this episode, but they, they're so cavalier about gun safety. This is just a little hint of it here. They just really pound that joke home. I felt like it was kind of similar to Keeping Up With Our Joneses, but Keeping Up With Our Joneses was a little more subtle. The way I read it anyway was poking holes at the mystique of smoking. This one, just so over the top, I, I find it funny, but it's not really a very subtle criticism of, of lack of gun safety or whatever. They just kind of roll with it. It's like they do it in a way that it just feels natural yeah. rather than being overt. Right. Yeah, they, it, yeah, they could be talking about, I don't know, have a good guess, playing baseball, some right. some harmless activity. <laughs> right. Uh, I've never seemed to acknowledge the danger. Maybe once in the episode that we'll get to. but So that's kind of a thing that King of the Hill viewers... If they are in on the joke, if they realize that it's a satire, or if they take it um, at face value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had never really thought about that until we started doing this podcast about right. how the show could be misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah, this was so over the top. It's hard to, well, I don't know, it's hard to see not getting the joke in this, but I, at this point I would believe anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it harkens back to uh, King of the Ant Hill a little bit, because... 
you remember if you remember Luann and Peggy were sitting in the kitchen and Luann was complaining that Buckley wasn't going to be allowed to bring his 38 to a block party. He could only bring his 22. Yeah, what on earth is he doing bringing a gun to a block party? But just, In Texas, you take your gun everywhere. Yeah. That's just what you do. It's like taking your wallet or your keys. Bobby's plenty old enough, at least by that culture standards, right? So I guess Hank is saying that, you know, Bobby should get a gun and Peggy's like, you know, Bobby's too young to have a gun, but Hank says that he's been old enough for five years. So <laughs> that would mean that a seven-year-old in Hank's eyes is old enough to have a gun. Yep, yep. Cotton brought him and gave him a gun as a present for his 12th birthday too, so I guess it's come up before, but mm. yeah, pretty insane. So, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So in this episode, there we talked about the there's a theme of Hank and Bobby's relationship, and I think the episode is doing something interesting with Hank and Cotton's relationship and comparing it to Hank and Bobby's relationship, flowing through the, the lens, if you will, of Hank and his his issues and his intimacy issues and so on. Maybe even being ironic, I'm not totally quite sure, but at any rate, they Hank and Peggy agree that shooting is something a father and son can do together, and for that reason, it's something that Hank and Bobby should be doing together. Again, completely unquestioned whether that's appropriate or not. And it seems to them... That's like the only thing a father and son can do together. Right, yeah. The other thing, Bobby's other hobbies, there's no place for Hank in them, in Hank's eyes. No, he just ends up with his guitar smelling like cheese. (laughs) Peggy does question whether something would be appropriate for a young child, not guns, but Boggle. Yeah, she's... She's talking about how giving Bobby a gun at age 12 is not appropriate, just like giving Boggle to an eight-year-old isn't appropriate, (laughs) even though it says you can on the box. Yeah, it says it right there, eight and up. So I guess Peggy takes her Boggle so seriously as to think it is not for children. By the way, listeners, Daisy's husband, Belton's wife, Daisy and I are going to be playing Boggle later. Yes. Sorry, Sorry you're not invited this time. What else do you see here? Hank is worrying that they only have a finite amount of time to bond together because soon Bobby will have his own propane business and he'll be busy with it. Yeah, despite Cotton's telling him that in an earlier episode that he wasn't going to take over the family gas station. I Hank just does not get Bobby. He does not see Bobby for who Bobby really is. Yeah, Bobby doesn't have much individuality. and he, Hank is idealistic about whatever this like mid-20th century American dream he has is that his son will like grow up to exactly feel the shoes you get the propane business, take over the house, all these things that really you can kind of tell aren't going to be Bobby's thing at all. I don't think anyone in my family has taken over or taken on the same thing that a previous generation has done. Like, we have all gone mm. in our own directions completely. Interesting. I've got a family full of teachers. It's very popular to be a teacher hmm. in my family. It's on mom's side of the family. I didn't go that route, mostly because I don't get along with kids <laughs> at all. But we have a lot of them. But no propane salespeople that I can think no, of. No, I don't think I have any propane salespeople in mine either. Well, in the next scene, Bobby and Hank go to the Megalomar. They have to ask for the children's gun department, and they're directed to aisle 47. So I think the aisle 47, it's just a, I think that's a reference to how huge Megalomar is. Megalomar is just a ginormous big box retailer. I feel uh, like it's big even for Texas where things well, are known for being big. I mean, Target has a lot of aisles, but they're not really. They just call each little section an aisle, so oh, maybe right, not. right. Right. But I'm sure Megalomart is huge. Right. I'm sure it's just enormous. I mean, it's 
got mega in the name. But what I find funny is that there's a children's gun aisle and that the employee knows exactly where it is and can readily answer that as if it's a question that's asked several times a day. Right. Comes up a lot in Laurelin. Bobby finally asks Hank the question that Hank has been waiting to hear for 12 years. What is that? Can I put a gun rack on my bike? How can I? How can a bike hold a gun without tipping over? I don't I, know. Yeah, I don't. But I guess in Texas they make it work. Yeah, I have to confess my ignorance on guns. I don't really know anything about guns. I would not fit in in Arlen at all. I don't really fit in much down south where I'm from. But never even never even held one. Like, no, I don't think so. I have. I don't like it. Mm. I choose to be ignorant about guns. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, like. Go to a place where people are not ignorant about guns at all. They go to Dale's Gun Club. Shows up, I guess, from time to time. The first first mention of Dale's Gun Club. Uh, what did you see here? Bobby said he always thought it was a crack house, <laughs> which I can see. <laughs> yeah. Dale is in there holding court. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever seen Dale this much in his element and this popular. I don't know, maybe when he and Hank were in, on the outs in King of the Ant Hill. Yeah, Dale... I mean, this is Dale's place. These are his people. And he's sitting there talking about clothes. Yeah. Someone was wearing the same vest or whatever. Hank's vest was so Desert Storm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great 90s reference. And just just being the queen bee of the gun club. And the name to see. And then um, there was something about guests have to pay $2 to use the gun range, but lifetime membership is free. (laughs) So they they still choose to pay the two bucks. Right, which I find strange because I would think that Hank would want a membership. Well, I think, you know, he looked around the room and saw some of the propaganda on the wall, and I think Hank said, I'm into guns, but I'm not this into guns or something. I think Hank just decided this was a little too extreme for him. Well, they go out to the firing range, right? Mm-hmm. And Bobby's an amazing shot. He does really well and is seemingly ignoring Hank's advice. Right. Hank is not such a good shot. No. He can't keep the gun steady or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he says the last time he fired a gun, a Texan was in the White House. And he doesn't mean Herbert George Walker Herbert Walker Bush. So it's been, okay, 97, maybe 30 years since he had yeah. held a gun, since LBJ was in the White House, I suppose. I think that's right. Hank's about 40-ish or something like that. So That makes sense, especially when we get to the flashback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hank is definitely very young in this flashback. Mm-hmm. With Cotton standing over him and naturally berating him about what a terrible shot he is. And Hank is so, so tiny compared to Cotton. <laughs> I noticed that too. And the Cotton, we, we and know. This is like shin free Cotton too. It's not like Cotton was tall. Yeah, I think Cotton. I think Hank was born after Cotton lost his shins. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. So, I mean, comparatively, little Hank is about the size of a doll in this flashback, which right. is hilarious. You think it's just how Hank remembers it? I mean, surely they... I don't know. a 10-year-old Hank wasn't six inches tall or whatever. But then, again, maybe Hank was about three in this yes. memory. Yeah, right. Who knows? But then they are invited to join the father-son fun shoot, which is sponsored by the Arlen Endowment for the Arts. <laughs> because guns are an art form and real art doesn't exist in Arlen. There's yep. no symphonies or plays or visual arts. If they're there, the, the folks on Rainy Street sure don't know anything about it. Nor do they care. Right. Yep. 
Well, back at home, uh, this is like my favorite part of the episode, I think, Daisy, when they're at home, but Bobby is just really, really gung-ho about this gun thing. He's got his vest on. Yes. His little orange safety vest. Yeah, he's so proud. This, For once, Bobby is living up to and meeting his father's expectations. Hank is proud of him. It's a good day for a body. And he's going through a gun catalog showing Hank all the guns and saying, this is a nice looking gun. And because Hank had his flashback, he's feeling pretty lousy Mm -hmm. and gets impatient with Bobby. Yeah, that must have really pulled the rug out from under Bobby because Hank can't possibly admit that he just can't shoot. I like how Bobby points out the father-son ponchos that zip together. (laughs) That is such a Bobby thing. Yeah, yep, that's right. He kind of goes back to being the old Bobby again with that one. Love it. So they go to the safety course, I guess because Hank is trying to dissuade Bobby without telling Bobby that that Hank himself is inadequate. He's trying to find a way to get Bobby not to want to do this. It's really kind of sad, but... Yeah. They show up. Did you see how many cars were in that parking lot? The little bitty gun club, which is a very small building, and many, many cars. I don't know where in the world all those people went. Guns, they have a very large range. Guns are a popular thing. Bobby's still wearing that orange vest. That's so mm-hmm. sweet. Oh, dear. Well, back at the house, I guess Bobby's learned his lesson about how bad his sewing skills are from the Order of the Straight Arrow because Luann is sewing his badge on his, I guess, was it like a sharpshooter's badge or something like that? Anyway, a badge. uh, Onto his vest. Yeah, in preparation for the gun tournament. Hank mentions one of my favorite names in King of the Hill, Heck Dorland. I think it's the first mention of Heck Dorland. The name's a very specific thing that I love about King of the Hill. These, like, random names like that, it's... I don't know how to describe it, Daisy. Something about, they sound like real people's names. There's nothing beautiful about that name. It, right. In terms of just the way it sounds, it sounds kind of clunky and a lot of like hard consonants in it. And yeah, they're just not. Just like person names. They're not melodic names at all. Right, right. They, they kind of don't sound like ones you would invent for a story. They just kind of sound like, and I don't know why, why I like that so much. There's just something about King of the Hill that I like. And Heck Dorland is maybe my favorite. But the mention is just in passing here, but I kind of liked it. There's some, like, Spanglish from, or something like that from Peggy in this one, too. Peggy right? thinks it's Spanglish or Spanish. She says, carpe diem, <laughs> which is Latin. Uh, it means seize the day in Latin. Yeah. I don't know what she thinks it means in Spanish. <laughs> or what language she thought she was pronouncing it in. It's complicated with Peggy and things like this. All right, well, they're back at the gun range. What'd you see here? So they're back at the gun range, and there's a flashback to Hank, older but still young Hank. He's got a crew cut in this one, and Cotton's kind of berating him again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor Hank. I'm trying to figure out what to do with... They show, you know, in no uncertain terms, that relationship and how bad it was and what a bad dad Cotton was. And Hank has this golden opportunity not to be a bad dad, not to follow in Cotton's footsteps, but he's kind of accidentally doing it. He is. Because he just kind of won't come clean with Bobby and say, hey, Bobby, I can't shoot. I'm happy to go with you to this, support you in this. I'll sit the stands while you do it, whatever. But I can't do it with you. But that would be such a blow to Hank's pride. He just can't do it. It reminds me of Hank's unmentionable problem. Hmm. When he was letting his pride take over common sense and making the situation okay. Mm. Although Hank did go to the medical center and take the family with him. So maybe he's learned, maybe not. Maybe he's gone backwards. Mm. Yeah, that happens with him. So he's in the gun clubhouse and meets Philip Nye, who is a sports psychologist who noticed that Hank was having issues. 
voiced by Wallace Shawn. Hard to miss that voice. You know, the guy from The Princess Bride, the inconceivable guy. Oh, him. Yep. So, Daisy, there's a great commentary about this episode. I don't say that sometimes because every now and then some of these come up, but the season two DVD has a commentary on this one by Paul Lieberstein, who was the writer of this episode, and listeners will know him as Toby on, on The Office, and um, Greg Daniels, who's the showrunner. So they just talk together about the episode. It's really, really good. Definitely recommend the second season DVD for, for no other reason for that commentary. Anyway, but Paul Lieberstein makes a statement when this scene comes up, and I, I got I'm going to quote it verbatim. He says, This was the beginning of a long tradition in King of the Hill that professionals were all buffoons. The hero is the common man. Oh, yeah. We've seen that many times already so far in the series. Mm. Starting with Twig Boy. Yep, yep. Good point. Yep. And there's a lot of any intellectualism in the series as well. Yep, yep. It's so... I picked up on it without even knowing about the commentary. Mm, yeah. Well, it's, it's an example of it. it. Philip Nye, I mean, he does, I don't know, he seems a little bit like a quack, at least at first. He hangs around the clubhouse just waiting on somebody like Hank to show up and can't shoot. He's but, sort of like an, an ambulance chasing lawyer. Yeah. But yeah. not, you know, that's how he gets his clients. But he's very perceptive. He picks up on Hank's issue. Mm-hmm. So why is Hank reluctant then to avail himself of this guy's services? It seems to be just what the doctor ordered. <laughs> Hank has that mentality that he doesn't need help, medical, psychological, or otherwise, that he can work out his own problems, or they're not even problems. So he, it's also the anti-intellectualism, anti-professional mm-hmm. mentality. It would be to admit weakness, which that's exactly what he's been trying mm-hmm. to avoid this whole episode. But the guy knows that Hank is going to tear up his card. And <laughs> Hank kind of kind of catches Hank off guard and he kind of has like a little moment like, oh, maybe this guy knows a little something. Yep, right. Yep. Well, back at home, Bobby and Hank are in the driveway. We have more of these, like, I'm calling obvious or over the top gun safety jokes. But Bobby's like trying to figure out a way to make this work, this tournament work. And he suggests that he take his guns to schools. <laughs> Yeah, he wants he wants more time shooting with Hank. Right. And is trying to find a way to fit it in to the schedule and suggests taking his guns to school so they can practice in between classes. He's so earnest. Hank is making these excuses saying, oh, Bobby, we can't go back to the range. We'll have to drive across town. That's a good five minutes. You know, and Bobby is just saying so positive. He he could be discouraged. He's going, no, I got an idea, Dad. Let's do this. I'll take my gun to school. Without even thinking thinking it through. No, no, definitely not. Speaking of guys who aren't very bright and don't think things through, the, the other three guys show up, Dale, Bill, and Boomhauer, and they give us some fantastic cluelessness about gun safety. This, this is one of my favorite Dale quotes, I have to say. Guns don't kill people. Government does. That's totally on brand for Dale. <laughs> very Dale. I, yeah. I think their ignorance about gun safety is willful ignorance. They choose not to believe the propaganda. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Dale with cigarettes and keeping right, up their guns. Right, right. Bill says, well, he just thinks somebody would if they were really dangerous, somebody would have told him. I mean, what do you do with that? <laughs> but Hank has a turns the tables on Dale, right? Kind mm-hmm. of a brilliant little uh, rhetorical move from Hank. Yeah, he flips he flips the NRA on Dale and says, you know, the NRA is based in Washington, D.C. Are you going to support a Washington, D.C.-based organization? That's a thinker. Yeah. Next is when the, the episode just gets so sweet and so sad for Bobby. During this whole time, by the way, Bobby's just been sitting in the background cleaning guns unsupervised. With his vest on. Right. Uh, well, he, he finally hears Hank kind of grasping at straws. And that's what's funny about it. He's not grasping at straws. But he's, he, he's actually making good points about gun safety, but in this Falling world... Falling on deaf ears. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it comes off to... 
Bobby as his dad just just trying to make excuses not to shoot with him. And Bobby just gets so sad. Yeah. I don't remember if he threw his guns away, but I saw him throwing his vest away. He threw his vest away for sure. And he's saying that Hank doesn't want to do this because he doesn't want to do this with Bobby and it's Bobby's fault. And Peggy, I kind of don't like what she does here. She agrees with Bobby that, yeah, it's Bobby's fault. <laughs> Peggy's line of reasoning, yeah, is, well, he doesn't want to shoot with you. I know he loves guns unconditionally, so yeah, must be you. Instead of <laughs> instead of comforting him, which is what you would have thought Peggy would have done, she says, yeah, it's your fault. But then a second later in the next scene, she's going to Hank saying, what is your problem? I can't remember what she says. She confronts him anyway. Yeah. And he, he fesses up. He says, Peggy, I can't shoot. She turns her back and steals herself. <laughs> It's kind of like a plastic white female where she, in her mind, heroically tells Bobby she still is going to accept him even though he tried to kiss a plastic mannequin head. I mean, it's okay to not be good with guns. It's okay to not like guns. But that's the kind of man Peggy wants and that's the kind of man Peggy believes Hank to be. Yep, that's who she thought she married. She really had to steal (laughs) herself to commit back. I don't, I don't know if Peggy has guns or does anything with guns herself, but maybe it's a man thing and she likes a man that can shoot. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But Hank is worried that the rest of the town won't forgive him for being unable to shoot. And it's like, seriously, what? nobody in Arlen cares. Why would, why would Arlen have any idea whether he can or can't shoot? He, he really thinks that Arlen cares about anything he does. This goes back to his lawn, his head lawn, a lot of other things. He, okay, Arlen is a small town, but I don't think he is that important in the small town that people are really paying that much attention to his life. No, certainly not. Interesting that he thinks of himself that way. He is the block captain, but that's kind of it. The, the hill's not that big that he's king of. Right. The next scene, Daisy, I want to get a tattoo of. It's Bobby. I think he has his vest back on. I'm not sure, but anyway, he is definitely just in his Tidy Whitey's on the bottom, and he's leaning against a tree, so morose, so sad, and he has his rifle kind of draped across his lap. Where would you put that tattoo? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I should just get it as a t-shirt. Probably a smart idea. Might be a little old for a tattoo. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, I guess Hank is just going to bite the bullet here. Pardon the pun. Go see Philip Nye. He lets Philip Nye know that he will not let him hypnotize or molest him. <laughs> so I don't know what Hank thinks happens in these therapy sessions. Yeah, I guess hypnosis is not out of the question. I mean, a therapist would suggest hypnos- hypnosis. They wouldn't just Do spring it. it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Because of patient rights and whatnot. Well, he's just got so many fears. It's just, it's just such a foreign territory to him, mm-hmm. evidently to me too, because I don't know what goes on either, but that he has every defense up he can right off the bat. Uh, but he gets into it, and then I love what happens, because Philip and I starts by saying, well, focus, picture the thing. And Hank kind of drops the gun for a second and starts talking about his relationship with Cotton. <laughs> Philip and I says, you're wasting valuable session time. <laughs> I mean, he's a psychologist. That's Psychologists delve into these issues. But I guess Philip Knight isn't that kind of psychologist. I thought that was good writing. Because that, that one definitely, that's a nice punchline that kind of catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely think you know where the episode is going. Yeah. <laughs> it does not go there. Hank is not going to deal with his daddy issue. So anyway, he wants Hank to focus. And Hank says that he envisions a McDonnell Douglas L-1011. McDonnell Douglas did not manufacture the L-1011. That was made by Lockheed. Ouch. Hence the L. 
Ouch. I wonder if that was just a legit mistake or if there's something else going on there. I don't know if it's just Hank's ignorance or if it was an error in the writing. Mm-hmm. But I found it glaringly obvious and I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see what a, a McDonald Douglas L-1011 looks like. <laughs> or a Boeing L-1011 for yeah. that matter. Yeah. Well, I guess it's time for the gun tournament. This is kind of the big thing the episode has been leading up to. All right, so this whole gun tournament, just like the fair before, this is pretty Texas, right? I guess. I'm sure they have gun tournaments in other places, too. Mm -hmm. I don't pay attention to anything involving guns, so Mm -hmm. I couldn't say. Well, there's a lot of action here, and Bobby and Hank are going through all the motions of this tournament, all the different rounds, and shooting people in the shadows, shooting deer, and shooting bullseyes, and everything else, but kind of comes down to Hank has to make a shot in order to get the win or at least a tie for the win and I really like what the episode does here because Hank starts this internal dialogue (laughs) he starts talking to himself Hank, not a, not a man who is typically like that much in his own head. Right. He's not very good at it. And he starts basically saying, are you going to talk? Are you going to shoot? I'm going to shoot. I'm not going to talk anymore. He, he kind of can't stop. I thought that was pretty good. And the pace of the show just slows down incredibly right there. Mm-hmm. I, and I like that. I like that they slowed it down that much. It won't take that much time on that. Yeah, they have kind of a montage similar to Peggy the Boggle Champ mm-hmm. of them moving up the tournament ranks. And much like when Peggy was moving up her Boggle Champ ranks. And then I guess they get to the last shot and who should show up but Cotton. Yep. Who announces that he had to stop off at the White's Museum to give FDR the finger. <laughs> yes. That's great. This is low even for Cotton. He puts money on the tournament, betting against his own son. It's on brand, but it's low. Hank has the last shot and Mm -hmm. misses. He misses, yep. And again, from the commentary, this is something Greg Daniels said. He said something they would do a lot of times. The way to pull off the big emotional moment in a show like King of the Hill was to hide it until the end. And he quotes, he cited this episode as an example of that because the whole episode, you think what's really going to happen, especially when Cotton shows up, is that Hank is going to overcome his psychological problems that are preventing him from being a good shot, that are rooted in his issues with his with Cotton and that relationship. And in fact, none of that happens. And what really happens, the big emotional moment doesn't have anything to do with Cotton. The big emotional moment is this super sweet moment when Bobby shows up with a little certificate saying, check it out, we got second place in a real father-son tournament. This is awesome. I'm the best son. You're the best dad. Can we please do this every year? It's so sweet. And, it, and the whole thing pays off just because Hank thought he was about to disappoint his son just like he disappointed Cotton. Not at all. Bobby was over the moon about it. Second place is really awesome. Yeah. And Bobby was just super happy about it. And Hank is one of those first place is the only mm-hmm. real winner. Second place is first loser. Right. And they didn't get a trophy. They got a certificate, so they can't put it in the trophy case. Bobby's like, so what? This is awesome. Yeah, he's he's excited regardless. And then they walk off into the sunset. <laughs> I think they're just having fun with this or kind of making fun of this kind of scene, but the sun is just absolutely ginormous. It seems that the sun has finally run out of nuclear fuel and has entered its red giant phase because it is huge. Yeah. You ever that uh, the Earth has moved significantly closer to the sun. No, I thought about that. The Without whole, our knowledge. The whole show could be on Venus or Mercury. I'd never thought about that. Well, and then they, they ground it and make it fun because 
Hank and Bobby are walking off into the sunset, and you would think the show would just close with that, but it drags out because, in fact, it slows down because they keep having to turn around and go different ways because they forgot where they parked. They forgot to get Peggy. Yeah, we forgot Mom. Oh, well, we'll turn back and get her the whole time there. And then they walk back in. Right away from the sunset. I love it. It was a fun way to end. And, yeah, that's the episode. What did you think? How many Goober Smooches? I'm going to give it six just because I kind of wanted there to be a second plot story running through, a second storyline. I kind of like those better. This one was more single track. True. Yeah, and it, it seemed like it could have been a stronger season opening mm. episode. I don't know. Yeah, no B story in this. I hadn't noticed that until you brought it out, but true. Well, I get this episode of nine. This is one of my favorites. B story, absence notwithstanding. <laughs> it really, it's not that I think the story is that great or anything else is all that great. I just think it's funny. All the gun safety jokes and the, the like straight-faced talk about when Hank tells Bobby, hey, while I'm talking to the guys, why don't you go over there and clean the guns? You know, I, I'm just kind of a sucker for that. I think it's funny. Yeah. So I give it a nine. So we'll, we'll call it a seven and a half, split the difference. Well, y'all can take you off your vests now because that's it for this episode of the Propane Maniacs podcast. Next time we put on our parkas and lose our shorts to review Texas City Twister.